This podcast is brought to you by the upcoming Bioceuticals Seminar Series, The New Science of Detoxification with Dr. Chris Shade. Dr. Shade is a globally recognised expert on toxic burden and targeted liposomal delivery systems. He has lectured and trained doctors in the US and internationally on the subject of mercury, heavy metals and the human detoxification system. In this one-day workshop, Dr. Shade will share his deep understanding on how to restore, manage and augment all three phases of detoxification with profound implications for health. At the end of the day, you will have a full understanding of how to provide a personalised, holistic detoxification program that moves away from the hit-and-miss shotgun approach practitioners may have used in the past. For more information visit bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me on the line today is Adjunct Associate Professor Greg Mapp, who's one of the first truly integrative pharmacists that I ever met. Now, Greg is an Australian-trained and accredited pharmacist with extensive practical experience in integrative medicine, and he has graduate diplomas in clinical nutrition and herbal medicines from the University of New England. He lectures in complementary medicine, pharmacy practice and pharmacotherapeutics at Griffith University School of Practice. And I sincerely welcome you, Greg. How are you? Oh, thanks, Andrew. Very well, thanks. All the way from the sunny Gold Coast, I hear. Yeah, well, actually, it's raining today, but anyway, (laughs) that's where it goes. (laughs) <laughs> now, Greg, you've got a very interesting history because, as I said, you've, you were the first pharmacist who were, was wholeheartedly embracing of evidence-based and appropriate integrative medicine into pharmacy practice. So tell me about your beginnings. How did it all start for you? Well, strangely enough, I think it all started with my love of food, which is something that, that uh, is an ongoing scenario but I went to a nutritional conference in Sydney an international nutritional conference when I was very young in pharmacy and I just became very very interested in how food affected people's health and um, I met some amazing people down there it was an international conference and Mm. I decided to do a uh, a grad dip in in nutrition and um, that that made me very very interested in lots of different areas of of complementary medicine um, patient pressure also helped because, you know, people wanted to know these things and I was always uh, out the front of the pharmacy talking to people. That's where I feel most comfortable. Mm. Um, and that led to the graduate diploma in herbal medicine and, um, yeah, it just went from there. I just I just love learning about it. You know, I th- think one of the things that's really interesting to me with pharmacists that embrace integrative medicine is every single one of them seems to be more comfortable having a, a relationship with their customers, you know, a practical relationship with their with their customers about what their mm. ailments are, not rather than sitting in the ivory tower, I call it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think um, part of the reason why I, my, my pharmacy is successful is that I decided early to have two pharmacists, one in, the, one in the front, one in the back. And even though it seemed extremely expensive and, you know, outrageous at the time, our business just flourished because of it. So I think it's a, it's a good business practice as well. Do you think that might be where pharmacy has got to go with the current 
constraints on on or pressures on on uh, pharmacy in the future. Absolutely, yeah. The financial pressures are getting more and more as far as dispensing prescriptions go. So, and I think people want to have a health destination for a pharmacy. Um, people travel to come to our pharmacy. They don't just come because we're next door to a doctor. So I think that's important, and it's very, very hard to be price competitive these days. Mm. You need people to come to see the pharmacist, not to come to buy the product. That's right. So I think you know you can you can either choose to go into a retail sort of model, or my advice, you know, speaking outside of pharmacy, but my sort of mm. um, thoughts on it are that people actually want somebody who's a health professional to care for them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I think pharmacists are slowly recognising that. And, um, yeah, it's going that way for sure, but it's still got a long way to go. Yeah. But your care took a, a particular specialty, didn't it? It's not just in integrative medicine per se, which you are expert at, but a particular branch of that, and that's drug detoxification. Well, I did do a lot of that in the early days, and, and um, one of the things that I was quite proud of is that a friend of mine, a GP and myself, uh, set up a drug referral centre on the Gold Coast. Um, used to be called the Gold Coast Drug Referral Centre, and then it went to Mirakai. Yep. Um, it's been now taken over by a government agency, but we started it. It was one of the first in Australia. So, yeah, we, we pioneered a lot of things in drug detoxification in those days. And that's down the bottom of the S-Bend at Burley Hill. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know it well. <laughs> you got it. I don't know it yeah. that well. <laughs> oh, I thought you might have been in there. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but talk to me about its beginnings. Like, that would have been... Really unique. I mean, it was really unique in its day, but that would have been oh, groundbreaking. It was incredible, and uh, it was quite controversial, actually. We started off just renting a house in Burley, and uh, we rented it, and anyone could come and go and talk to us about their drug addiction. And we had some pretty hairy moments there. You know, someone would be there all night. Mm. We had people rostered on 24 hours, and, you know, if you're rostered on at midnight on a Saturday night, you've got some interesting inquiries. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, but eventually we actually got the money together ourselves and built that place at Early Heads without any government interference or, or our money mm. until at some stage they became interested and actually gave us money to continue. So it's been a big success story and it's one of the, one of the biggest drug centres in, in Australia now. So that smacks of something as finally the government decided to put their hand in. That tells me there's a big problem out there. Yeah, most definitely. And... Um, Obviously, being in pharmacy, I, I see a hell of a lot of problems with prescribed drugs as well as illicit drugs, um, and I think that's somewhere something that we need to look at just as closely as, as illicit drugs for sure. And I, I've got to say, this is so broad that I'd like to continue. Maybe we might have to break this up into into two podcasts because mm. the illicit drugs and the prescribed drugs, they're, they're two huge branches and, and they can have some similarities but also some quite interesting differences in their treatment. Is that right? Well, that's true. Um, there's certainly a lot of similarities and, you know, you've got to treat each person separately and differently in their, in their drug habits. But, um, yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting to note that, you know, we can't sort of say one, one's worse than the other because there's certainly bad things happening on both sides of the scale there. Well, let's talk about illicit drugs in this podcast because mm -hmm. this is the beginnings of Mirakai. Tell okay. me tell me sure. what happened. Why did you start Mirakai? What was the catalyst? Well, it was just, as I say, a friend of mine who was a GP and myself, we saw a lot of heroin being used on the Gold Coast and um, we decided that there was nothing being done about it. Mm -hmm. Hospitals weren't were turning people away who wanted to withdraw. 
And so we just decided we, we would try it ourselves. And to be honest, it was fairly difficult at, sta- at the start because we were seeing people in our rented house and then withdrawing them in the hospital via the GP that was involved. Yeah. And it just wasn't working. And uh, we eventually decided to withdraw people in our facility once we built it, and it was a much better way of going. How do you find, you know, sh- scheduling people if they were really florid and a danger to themselves or the public? What, what, tell me what happens. Um, what do you mean by saying who goes in and who doesn't? Mm. Well, look, it, it's, it's up to the person themselves. The person has to be determined that they're going to come off the drug. Right. So if we feel as though that they're uh, acceptable, because we do go through an interview process. Right. Um, for instance, if, if you're married to another person who's on the same drug, it's very difficult for those two people to come into the to the detoxification centre at once because they hurt each other almost. Right. So things like that, like their relationships and where they're at with their drug and things like that, have to be taken into account before we let them in. But once they go through that, we certainly do our best to try to help them. Naturally, the drug scene has changed dramatically since the days we started. Different drugs. Yeah, and this is like there's a huge new issue. Tell That's me, right. tell me about that, because this is this is a real interesting evolution from, you know, my days of nursing, and yeah. the, the drugs that are on the scene now. It's just yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, in in the days when we started marijuana, with the drugs of the day, mm. um, <clears throat> eventually ecstasy and those types of amphetamines started coming in. After that, and it's almost you could almost follow it as a cultural thing, like yeah. a pop pop cultural thing, with music and, and art and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Started off with uh, with heroin, with uh, Jimi Hendrix and all that sort of scene. Then yeah. then then uh, music changed to punk music and started amphetamines and, and ecstasy and those type of things with with the dance music. So now it's evolved into a, a hell of a lot of people on methamphetamines, which makes the whole scene much much more dangerous and much more difficult to treat. So there's, there's more people on methamphetamine getting detoxified now than any other drug. Yeah. That's massive, but but that really concerns me for the safety of the caregiver. Like you know, when they come in to well, see you, difficult. they're going to be in a really agitated state. Oh yeah, yeah, it is difficult, and you can see there's lots of things on TV to show you that. I mean, yeah. the emergency wards now they've got the you know the places where the violence is very very high. Mm. And look, when when we take our people into our drug referral centre with, with them methamphetamine, they're usually determined to come off it. So they're not they're not. Off their heads and high. Yeah, they're in there and they're coming off. They're coming off the drug. So right. So that was my reference to scheduling. Yeah, before you know, like yeah. if they're a danger to themselves or the public. So you don't see those. They've already made the decision that they want to change their yes. lives. So they yes. come into you with at least part, have it having at least partly come down. Is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. because we can't have anyone taking drugs within that area, of course. Yeah. So well, well, the drugs that they've been on. I mean. Sometimes we do use pharmaceutical drugs with that uh, withdrawal from methamphetamine, mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't. But it's a very, very difficult drug to come off. Yeah. So tell me about the symptom presentation that you used to see with the various drug types, Greg, because there's a lot of different symptoms, obviously, but one of the interesting ones for me is the difference between anger and agitation. Yeah, well, people with a methamphetamine uh, addiction, for instance, well, once they stop their drug, they go into a deep depression and a psychotic sort of symptom. So they can they can also get angry, but um, they tend to be more paranoid, loss of energy, depressed, because they've been so high for so long. 
and they go the opposite. But if you have someone who is, uh, say, on a sedative-type drug, Mm. Um, they tend to present more with the opposite. They get ag- agitated and sometimes angry. So let's say a benzodiazepine, for instance. Yeah. So they a might flip. come in and be yeah. If whatever the drug is giving them, they tend to be the flip of that. Yeah. And so, what are the common symptoms that present with the various drug types? Okay. Well, are you talking about illicit drugs? Yeah. So I, I think we need to because it's such a broad area. If we, if we can concentrate on illicit drugs in this podcast. And in the next okay. podcast, we'll talk about prescription drugs. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about methamphetamine because mm. that's obviously the drug of the, of the moment mm. and lots and lots of people are taking it. Um, once they start their withdrawal symptoms, they definitely go into a depressed state. And they can also go into a psychotic state where they have paranoia, uh, you know, lack of motivation, lack of energy. Because they've been so high, they just almost go the opposite way. So they drop down below the, the line. Um, and they can become quite psychotic. They can be hearing voices and things like that because mm-hmm. these drugs really, I know it's a, it's a strange word to say, but the, we, we say it fries their brain almost. You know, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just out of control for so long that they become very, very depressed and psychotic when yeah. they come off their drug. So that's, that's basically methamphetamine. If you're looking at something like marijuana, which is obviously another huge drug that's been taken, but it doesn't have such a huge uh, withdrawal symptom. Um, people do tend to come off marijuana, be agitated, anxious. Um, they can be also very depressed, mm. it's a possibility. Mm. But they, they, they often can be anxious and agitated because they've been almost sedated with marijuana for so long. Yeah. So that's the difference between those two. I don't know whether you want to go into narcotics because, you know, we, 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 we sort of, that's going to be a crossover, it's going to be narcotics. Yeah as illicit drugs or as... As a prescription. Prescription drugs. Yeah, because it's a huge issue with prescription drugs, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's touch on it because I think it's a really important drug group um, in, both, in both sets, yeah. Yeah. So when, when you get someone coming off narcotics, well, they, they have a, a real true withdrawal symptom that's a sort of symptoms, I should say, as in muscle aches and pains, anxiety. They sweat a lot. They have uh, sleepless nights. They have diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal cramps, those sort of things. They have a lot of GI problems mm. because, as you're aware, you know, narcotics just slow your gut down. Yeah. And you've got all sorts of problems with your gut if you've been taking those for a long time. They also have teeth problems. But they, um, the biggest symptom of someone coming off narcotics is this anxiety. It's almost like jumping out of your skin. I've got to get away. I've got to get another drug. Wow. And that's the thing that seems to be, you know, everyone's got to cope with. Yeah. Um, in saying that, I think that uh, drug withdrawal is often overemphasized. I mean, it's not that hard. It's like having a flu for seven days. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's more scary in the brain of someone than it is in physical symptoms. Right. So people have more problems actually coping with the fact that they're not taking the drug. Rather than going through the physical symptoms, it's, it's more of a craving that's has to be, uh, you know, helped. Yeah. And I was going to... We, we can cope with the physical things. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that because um, there's a lot of... It seems to be a lot of confusion in, in the historical sort of... Um, let's call it the movie era of drug detox where mm. people are coming down off yeah. heroin, but that's like it just going through a really bad phase. Whereas if somebody's coming off alcohol, that can kill you. The DTs kill you. Absolutely. So Absolutely, yeah. And it's the same with the benzos. If you're on a high benzo, like we've had people up there taking 50 Valium a day. They can, 50 they can Valium? Fits. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So, you know, you can just come off those or shooting up uh, benzos. 
you come off those, it's a far worse withdrawal than narcotics. Wow. In fact, we always make sure that someone who's been shooting up drugs, have they been mixing it with other drugs? Because yeah. that's quite common. Right. When they're running out of heroin, for instance, or some sort of narcotic, they might shoot up uh, a benzo or they might shoot up uh, some sort of psychotic, any psychotic drug, which are worse than withdrawals than from the heroin itself. So how do you, how do you manage that with regards to... Um, you know, combination therapy um, and, you know, potential interactions? Well, as far as them taking different drugs? Taking different drugs and also what you give them. Well, we try to do our best to say, you know, if you're on multiple drugs, you really probably have to go to hospital to withdraw. Yeah. But if we know the drug they're on and we're pretty confident about it, we do have a GP who comes to the centre as well to keep an eye on things. Yeah. So if we're sure that it's just, say, narcotics or if we're sure it's just methamphetamine, well, we're happy to withdraw them. Um, but if they were mixing a lot of benzos or mixing a lot of alcohol with that, then we have a problem. Yeah. So can you just describe for our listeners the sort of symptoms that you get presented with with um, if somebody's coming off ice or ecstasy? Sure. Well, ice is methamphetamine. Yeah. So that's where we get the depression and psychotic symptoms. But has it got some particular key differential symptoms, or are they just it's just another methamphetamine? No, not really. I mean, paranoia is one of the biggest ones. Yeah. Paranoia, depression, lack of energy—they're the sort of things that come around. And you know, people can get paranoia so much that they can they can even become violent or or, or do strange things. Obviously. Um, uh, and that's when they become psychotic. But generally speaking, they're more or less mildly psychotic and paranoid and depressed if they come off ice. As far as ecstasy goes, a lot of people are not abusing ecstasy, but if you have a big weekend on ecstasy, for instance, you'll definitely get a depression in the next few days. Yep. Like there's a bit of a story, there's a bit of a sort of a jargon that says uh, for ecstasy use is Monday is my depressed day. Right. <laughs> Because they've been on ecstasy for the weekend, yeah. their serotonin levels are way up while they're taking it because it increases the serotonin in the mm-hmm. brain. And Monday comes down, their serotonin is very lacking and they're, they're depressed. Yeah. So you get this up and down effect. And and the interesting thing, of course, that we're getting to is that you've got a truly integrative approach to how you manage people coming off drugs, haven't you? Yes, yes. And it depends on the person, of course. And, and we, we need to... Um, Decide which is the best way to go. Some people like to just have maximum pharmaceuticals because that's what they want. They want to try and decrease their withdrawal as much as possible. Yep. Um, but other people want to try and do it naturally as much as possible as well. So there's certainly things we can do, and we, and we do try to integrate both and have as little little drug integration as much as possible because the more drugs you give someone when they're withdrawing and, and, and continuing to try and live, they're going to extend their withdrawal and they're going to probably stay on the drugs that you've, you know, that you've put them on in, in, in lieu of their withdrawal. So um, if you, for instance, if you give a benzo to someone who's coming off ice or something like that, well, they may become a bit addicted to the benzo. Yeah, so swapping one for one. We try not yeah. to give, yeah, we don't try and give drugs to anyone if we can avoid it. Right. So tell me about how, what sort of things do you use? And what I'm interested in is also the, the economics of it. How affordable is this for these people? Because I'm going to assume that they're at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. So how do you find they well, stick to Well, them? not always, not always. Um, <clears throat> um, we didn't talk about cocaine, actually, because, you know, that's a very expensive drug. 
and it's a similar similar thing to, to uh, methamphetamine or amphetamines in general. It's a stimulant. So when people come off cocaine, if they've been addicted to it, mm-hmm. they tend to be very depressed. Right. So you know, people who are using cocaine are quite usually quite got a lot of money, or have got enough money to spend on that drug anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily always lower end of economic. But uh, but, but is it always a, um, uh, affordability from their own purse? I, I mean, I thought this was one of the big issues that the cost of the drugs begets crime because of there's the whole thing about um, holding down a job and you know being high and and. Um, then having to afford the next hit, and so it sort of sways itself into a life of crime. Am I mistaken with that? Well, that's definitely the truth. Yes, uh, it was. It seemed to be more of a, of a thing with, with heroin. That was the way everyone went. Yeah. But these days, I think a lot of people are buying uh, methamphetamine and cocaine, and still keeping their job. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't tend to. Whereas heroin sort of uh, made people don't really care about anything. Yeah. Cocaine and, and ecstasy, and well, not so much ecstasy, but any sort of amphetamines, sharpens their response to things like they think they can work better. They, they're happy to go to work. Whereas heroin, you're happy to sit at home and just sit on your lounge. Yeah. But you still need the money to buy your drugs. So yeah. Mm. With the with the with the stimulants, people are going to work and thinking they're working better, and so they're keeping their jobs and keeping their money going until that, that crisis comes and they get themselves into trouble. Yeah. So, so it's not always an, an economical thing, or you know, it's not an economic problem yeah. to give people some supplements in that situation. Yeah. And quite often, I treat people not going through the drug centre; they just want to withdraw at home as well. Mm-hmm. And those people have got jobs, and they come into the pharmacy, for instance, or they come into a clinic that I, that I could work at, and say, "What can I do?" And in that way, we can give them we can give them help through supplements. So, but I would assume that we'll get into what sort of supplements you use um, effectively mm. in a tick. But I, I would assume that this always all starts with diet and and active lifestyle. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Tell me what you do. absolutely. Well, we always recommend uh, the Mediterranean diet because it's anti-inflammatory, and usually people who are in this situation have got inflamed bodies because they've been unhealthy for so long. Um, we try and keep their uh, hydration up. Um, quite often we give them potassium, make sure we give them multivitamin, uh, make sure they have enough protein because they've been living an unhealthy life for so long. Mm-hmm. It's particularly true with narcotics because their gut has been completely destroyed. So we make sure their diet and appetite and exercise are all under control and that that's a hell of a job to try and get people to do that, of course. I could imagine. As we all know, with any health, with any health problem. Mm. But yes, it's certainly the starting point. And the other thing is, you know, relationship problems. Why is the drug, why is the person on the drug? It's not necessarily just the pleasure. Ah, yes. They might have a bad relationship. They might have a toxic relationship where they're both taking the same drug. So, you know, we look at that side of things as well. That's and, a good starting point. Yeah, a good starting point, but I would imagine one of the hardest. How do you wend your of way course. through that one? Well, it's not easy. You've just got to do your best. You know, we do have psychologists and things on tap that we use, but um, we try to get through the relationship problems before we start detoxification, or at least at the same time. But it's a very difficult thing to do. Yes, addiction is a very thing. In, in general, addiction is very hard to conquer. Mm. The uh, the results are not all that great to get people off drugs. To be honest, it, but you can only do your best. Yes, yeah. 
I, I think the interesting thing is why did somebody choose that that path in the beginning? And, and to me, it's I, right. I know I, I know the results are way different, but to me, it's sort of like the beginning of it is it's the same as obesity. It started somewhere. Yeah. Why, why did it start? Yeah, you started, and and sometimes you don't even know why you started, or you started just for pleasure, and it just got out of hand. Mm. But um, quite often, people who are into drugs in a big way, they've got some other underlying problem, as you would imagine. Yeah. Um, but not always. I mean, it can just be peer group pressure. It can be just in fun, fun, and all of a sudden you find yourself in trouble. Gotcha. So mm. let's talk okay. about what sort of supplementation you you use um, in well, the various it drug can classes. Vary to, yeah, it can the drug, of course. But there are some things that you know maybe are helpful for all drugs. Um, the inositol system is what I think is something that I try to give to everyone. Um, and it's been some evidence with cocaine and marijuana and even some with their nicotine and alcohol that it will help. It seems to be something that maybe we're looking at uh, a, something that goes on in the brain with an acetyl cysteine that will help all addiction. Um, it's, it's to do with wow. the glutamate transport. Yeah. Yeah, we're finding that, um, first of all, of course, it is a precursor to glutathione, which will help to detoxify whatever toxic, toxic drugs you've got in your body get rid of them out through the liver. It's anti-inflammatory, and also it increases glutamate transport uh, into the intracellular space in the brain. And glutamate transport seems to now be something that everyone's looking at that maybe it's starting to look like the transmitter that's causing the person to go from pleasure to compulsion, if you like. So dopamine is the first one that comes out. It pours out of your system, out of your brain, to say that that we're having fun. Mm. But eventually, if it, if you take the drug more and more and more, no matter what the drug is, it may be that glutamate starts to become important in that uh, in that compulsion area. And uh, interestingly enough, in acetylcysteine actually helps to modulate glutamate. Um, so I, I think it's worthwhile having a go at giving everyone that, yeah. no matter what drug they're coming off. And what sort of dosages do you use? Um, I look about 600 to 1,000 milligrams twice like that. Um, it's, it's a nasty thing to take in a power form. It's better in a tablet if you can get it. If you can get it. <laughs> quite un- it doesn't taste so good. There were some lovely um, um, effervescent ones from overseas. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. German ones. But it may, it may be a sort of a common denominator in lots of different addictions. So mm. I think it's worth starting people on that. Have you had much to do with that particular uh, product? Uh, look, the only stuff that the only time that I've really used it um, is with um, detoxification issues, but mm. but in mm. general detoxification, not not um, not drug detoxification. Um, but yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, but mm. I think it's really interesting that um, uh, Dr. Jerome Saris is doing some research on uh, psychiatric conditions using NAC, and yeah. and, and indeed yeah, Michael Burke, Professor Michael Burke, yeah. Yeah, I believe they're using it for schizophrenia and bipolar and all sorts of things. And it's all centering around this glutamate transporter, mm. um, which may be, may be involved in addiction. It seems to be. They've, they've, just done some, they've done some recent trials to say it, it helps, but there's nothing big enough to, to definitely say so. Yeah. Uh, it looks pretty good at the moment, and it's worth a go, I think. Mm. And, and so what else? We sort of start with that. Yeah. And then, depending on the drug... Um, we treat the symptoms of the of the, of the uh, withdrawal. So, if we look at say ice, for instance, or methamphetamine, mm-hmm. um, I, I'd like to try it and get the back up 
like when they come in, they're usually very depressed and they're feeling very down and very flat because they've been up in high in the high all the time. It's the same with cocaine, and they want to get back up there. They're just they're just feeling awful. Yeah. So I tend to use something like rhodiola. I also use some ginseng. Uh, I might even use uh, St. John's wort, possibly. Um, it depends on what other drugs are on, too. You've got to be just yeah. a bit careful with interactions. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, Carver has, has, has had some anti, uh, well, not anti, but sort of a effects with addiction that, that may be helpful with all addiction as well. Yeah. So sometimes I use Carver. I know that there has been some talk that it has addictive properties itself, but that's fairly controversial. I don't think it, it doesn't seem to if you're using the right doses. Oh, yeah, that's. I think um, that's the key. I think it's an abuse syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And so it seems to have some interaction with some uh, dopamine um, receptors that help all sorts of addiction. So if someone's coming in off ice or, or cocaine, I tend to use these types of things, these uh, adaptogens and things that give them a feeling of a, you know, a bit more... Uh, energy, that type of thing, because they're, they're not—they're usually not anxious. They're usually down if they're coming off some sort of stimulant. Yeah. So that's the sort of products I use. I'd, I'd probably use some magnesium um, as well, just in, and and perhaps uh, obviously we've talked about a multivitamin as well. Mm, mm. Um, those types of things I think are very helpful for people who've come off any sort of a stimulant drug. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at going towards, uh, so you start with the NAC and then you start using those for the symptoms virtually. Um, but if you're looking at someone who's coming off, say, a sedative type drug, like uh, uh, heroin or a benzo, which we'll probably talk about later as yep. benzos, but say yep. a narcotic, we can treat their symptoms very well with, with uh, supplements. First of all, the gastrointestinal tract is, is shot. Hmm. So we obviously like to give them probiotics. I tend to use, uh, say, Saccharomyces boulardii um, to try and heal their gut and then a probiotic after that, say, Saccharomyces boulardii for about a month. Yep. It tends to stop their diarrhoea because they usually have diarrhoea. Um, you might put in some bifidobacteria in that as well, but then after that, a general probiotic is good. Um, I use peppermint oil for their cramps. Mm-hmm. You could use cramp bark as well, but peppermint oil works very well. Do you use the enteric-coated Peppermint oil? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the best, yeah. Um, and they're usually quite anxious. So we can use, again, we can use carver or we can use valerian, um, those types of products to help them, uh, help their anxiety because, as I said, they've been sedated. So they almost have the opposite reaction. They mm. get this, I want to jump out of my skin. I want to run away. I want to, I'm just so anxious. I feel horrible. Yeah. So you need to calm them down compared to, say, the stimulant-type withdrawals where you need to give them energy. So the narcotic people, we need to calm them down, so we use those types of products. We can also use painkillers because they get lots of aches and pains. We can give them magnesium for sure. Yeah. We can use things like uh, Californian poppy, Jamaica dogwood, those types of products. Mm. Um, and that helps them with their aches and pains. They usually have muscular pains. We can even use... Um, turmeric or boswellia or something like that yeah so usually I, I i make a herbal mixture of those types of herbs to help them with their aches and pains yeah combined yeah. with the magnesium and and do you find that you know because you're dealing with each separate person uh, obviously but but because you've got a particular um penchant for um your integrative aspects that mm. you like the herbal fluid extracts because you want to adjust things for that exact person yes yep. yeah 
That's what I like about it. I mean, the thing about herbal extracts, though, is I find that a lot of people can't stay on them. Right. They get very sick of them very quickly. <laughs> right. So if I, can, if I can use them for a short period of time and then try and get them onto tablets... Mm. Of uh, you know, it may be a, it may be a mixture of tablets, but the minimum amount we can do, if we can get away with, uh, it's 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 more uh, practical. They tend to like to take the tablets for a period of time, because mixtures. Some people just can't take them, and some people get sick of them quickly. Yeah. But, so I try to use them initially just to get over the worst, and then I tend to try and say, okay, let's try and work out which tablets would be better for you. You might just stay on. Tetramethyl and a probiotic for a while, or you might just stay on turmeric or something like that. Yeah, and uh, certainly on magnesium. I, I I haven't tasted the um, the uh, water extract of kava, but in the olden days when we had the mm. alcohol extract, I found the only flavour that ever worked with any sort of great degree of compliance was chocolate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we can be addicted to chocolate as well. Yeah. <laughs> but thank goodness we found out it's good for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I usually tell the people to put the herbal mixture in the fridge and at least it cuts down a little bit and then you can have it with juice or something like that. Yeah. yeah it is difficult. Yeah. But um, I think it's more practical to get them onto a series of tablets if you can. Um, everyone's different, of course. Some people love herbal mixtures. Yeah, sure. But basically, the, the, the premise of it is, if they've come off the narcotic, we need to give them something uh, to stop their anxiety. If they come off the stimulant, we need to give them something to give them back energy mm. and make them feel like they, they don't need to take that huge hit of speed to get them back up to where they were. Do you find that, firstly, when you say ginseng, people automatically assume Korean ginseng, whereas there's quite a few ginsengs, at least four or five. Um, well, one, that, one that I'm really interested in is American ginseng, because to, to me that's yes. a mind ginseng. Yes, yes. Yes, I, I must admit I don't do it as much. I don't use it as much in this case as I do Panax. Mm -hmm. I do use the Korean ginseng in this situation just to give more energy. Yeah. But, um, yep, you could use American ginseng without a doubt and you could put the two together. It would be quite effective. Right. And and what about your Siberian ginseng, your Indian, quote-unquote, ginseng, which is actually withania? Do you use those? Yeah. Herbs? Well, I use it as an adaptogen for some situations, but not so much in this one. Hmm. Um, I certainly do use it. I think it goes very well with rhodiola, actually. Right. Um, um, I, I, in this case, I would use rhodiola and ginseng for someone um, who's coming off, say, an air, uh, stimulant drug. Yeah. But I could probably use rhodiola and methania in someone who's coming off narcotics because it's more gentle. Yeah. And uh, it may not give them the speedy feeling and, and not any chance of anxiety mm. because as we know rhodiola can also stop anxiety not only give you energy so that's right yeah. with any together is very good yeah you know? and and with the panax do you have to use like quite robust doses or do you start off gentle and work up or tell me what what works for you no i start off gently I, I i give them more of the rhodiola yeah just in case there's any sort of anxiety involved there shouldn't be i mean they're, they're fully usually fully depressed we can certainly use st john's wort with that combination as well yeah when we're talking about people coming off stimulants because they're usually depressed. So yeah. we can use St. John's water or we can use Sammy or we can use Rhodiola or a combination of Rhodiola and St. John's water or a combination of Sammy and Rhodiola. Yeah. Sorry, I, I said Rhodiola and Sammy or Rhodiola and St. John's water, those, yeah. those combinations. Mm. You mentioned earlier about drug interactions, and we know you know it's the most common sort of touted you know, drug interaction herb in the St. John's wort. Tell me, mm. how do you skirt around that issue? Well, 
we, we certainly, it's a problem with people going off methamphetamine is if they've been to their doctor first, uh, he might have given them an antipsychotic or they might have taken uh, some sort of antidepressant. And so we have to decide whether they're going to stay on that mm. or go in St. John's Ward because we can't really get them together. That's right. That's, look, it's it's a theoretical interaction in most cases. I don't think many people who take an antidepressant would get serotonin syndrome with St. John's Ward, but it's a possibility. Yeah. So I notice in some of the in some of the websites you look at, they say it's an absolute contraindication. And some websites, it says, oh, it's a moderate interaction and it's theoretical. Yeah. But uh, I think to be on the safe side, because GPs in general don't like the combination, uh, we, we don't use it. I, I, I'm not um, belittling the importance nor the um, health implications of serotonin syndrome. It's devastating if they, if they occurred. But I think um, mm. practically the case reports seem to talk about, you know, cyclophosphamide, AZT um, and warfarin as the, as the worst sort of interactions because they're more immediate type things. Yeah, and I, I've never seen I've never seen a serotonin syndrome. I've been around quite a while, but I must admit I don't work in hospitals, so I've never seen anyone with it. Yeah, even though I've seen people taking, you know, two antidepressants together from psychiatrists. Yeah, and taking tramadol on top of that and all this sort of thing. So every day in the pharmacy, you'll come across a big red flashing sign saying major interaction. You might ring the doctor and they'll say, "Oh, what a load of rubbish." But as soon as you say St. John's Water to them, they freak out. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's just one of those things, in- or any sort of herbal medicine interaction. What interesting. What interests me is how these things can be totally ineffective yet so dangerous in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. We could go on a whole lecture about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about some practice tips and maybe some warnings, some caveats that you can give our listeners. What have you come across okay. in your history? Um Look, you've got to be the thing about the uh, drug, drug uh, withdrawal, as far as illicit drugs go, is of course we have to first determine if the person is is going to really follow the, the directions we're going to give them, mm. because a lot of them uh, are very uh, well. You know, they just don't do what they're, they're told because they just, they get, go home and do straight do the wrong thing straight away. Yeah. Um, so we need to be sure that they're motivated, which is very difficult. Um, next thing is. I think it's very important that we don't give them anything that's going to harm them, obviously. And a lot of people use a lot of drugs to try to bring people down, like they use antihistamines, they use uh, anti-inflammatories, all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, But the things that we've been talking about today are all totally safe, so it's very, very good to use those things. But I think what your comment was about getting the person healthy is one of the main things that we need to do, and that's one of the most difficult, of course. Mm. Everyone wants a pill to fix them up. But yeah. Unfortunately, we need to look after their health, their GI tract, their their, uh, their eating habits. They're usually awake all night and sleep through the day, those sorts of things. We need to get their circadian rhythm back in, yep. into, into track. And uh, sometimes we use melatonin in that case, which needs a prescription, but... Mm-hmm. Um, they're the sort of things that we need to get the person healthy, basically, get them motivated, and then not give them any drugs that's going to harm them. Um, there's probably more problems involved in, in, in the prescription drugs that we can talk about later. Mm. So, Greg, just in wrapping up, can you give our listeners a, a few hints and tips maybe in lifestyle, things that they might use, including things like mindfulness? What do you find works? Well, we use a lot of meditation at the uh, at the Merakai, 
at Burley. We certainly have meditation as much as possible. We also have psychologists on hand who go through cognitive behavioural things, um, and these types of things are, are essential because they replace the drugs that other people use to get people through the withdrawal. And we've found time and time again, if you want to be, if you want to have a brutal uh, description of the two different ways of coming off a drug, if you threw someone into a jail and locked the door and said goodbye, and they come off their drug, it's just absolutely horrendous and horrific. If you have them in a family situation where there are people around them and supporting them, hmm. you find that their actual symptoms are much less. Right. So if you can get them through that withdrawal with less symptoms and at the same time encourage them to think about their life in the future, hmm. well, certainly you'll get a better job. Hmm. So, yes, we certainly do, like, we do a lot of um, cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah. One thing we try not to do is though, to get them into a track where they replace their addiction with some other sort of addiction with, with some other modality that it, it, they're going to go down in, in some crazy way. So you've got to be a bit careful of that. What sort of things are you talking about there? Well, let's say gambling, for instance, or something like that. You've just got to be mindful that they're going to have to be careful like that, change their addiction to something else. Mm. Greg, this is a huge topic and, and it's a, a massively important one that needs to be investigated in FX Medicine and I will <laughs> we will be doing another podcast so I think what we'll do is we'll um, we'll look at prescription drug, drugs next time but I okay. really I really do thank you for sharing your expertise with us with our listeners today because you've got some really comprehensive treatment <laughs> regimes that you've got but also holistic and I really like the way that you're looking at every aspect of the of the patient's lives to look at you know where they've come and where they're going to and to sort of find a better path for them. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Andrew. Thank you. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast was brought to you by the new science of detoxification, advanced approaches to phase one, two, and three support. For more information, visit biocidicals.com.au slash education slash events.